gmail.com. It's just a few seconds before 10 o'clock, and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online at WERU.org. Boat Talk with your host, Alan Sprague, is up next. Thanks to Schooner Fair right there for piping in Boat Talk. It's the second Tuesday of the month, 10 o'clock. Time for Boat Talk here on Community Radio, WERU-FM, Blue Hill 89.9, 99.9 in Bangor, and all around the Internet at WERU.org. Boat Talk is a call-in show for people contemplating things naval, or today if you're playing contemplating things animal that will work too there's a call in number one eight six 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 two five that will get you one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight that will get you directly into boat talk if you'd like to have anything to say on the air that would be great mike joyce is uh, off today he's uh, in the middle of a, an adventuresome delivery i'll call it it's uh Definitely going to generate a story from Mike, I'm sure, in the next Boat Talk, but I'll just leave that as it may. We'll find out more about that next month. But um, today I was planning on talking, or we were planning on talking about animals and boats, um, pets mostly, and boats. Um, If you have any particular animal-slash-boat story and you'd like to... uh, Share it with us. You're certainly welcome to one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. Of animals and boats is a uh, goes way back. Uh, nobody really knows when the first ones were uh, on board. No doubt they were probably rats, but um, as far as pets go on the boat, um, cats probably followed very shortly thereafter, and boats, boat um, dogs have been uh, very common on boats in the way back into the middle ages uh, Portuguese water dogs specifically were uh, developed to uh, to be a, a, a boat dog as long as well as skipper keys um, Portuguese water dogs go back so far in history uh, with boat boat builders and boat sailors that they're uh, they're credited with inventing the uh, the poop deck. So if you would like to uh, upgrade the uh, animal stories, one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. 625 We have a few of stories of our own lined up here. I'm going to go to a little kind of a cute thing uh, to start off the show. There's a uh, story about uh, a Polish battleship by the name of Burza from World War II that had an animal on it. So we'll go to that little number one right here now. Shortly before World War II, after a visit to the Hay Naval Base in Poland, the chief petty officer of Burza reported to the captain that a new crew member, one with a nice fur uniform, had joined the ship. The captain said that was a good sign. The ship then sailed for Great Britain, along with two other Polish destroyers. And when war was declared soon afterwards, 
they came under the command of the British Admiralty. The cat, now named Kishia, was living in a petty quarters officers in the bow of the ship and one day produced six tiny kittens. A few days later, Burza was engaged in action off Calais, during which HMS Wessex was sunk and Burza shot down two Stuka dive bombers, but received a hit in her bow. The petty officer's quarters, where Kishia had had her kittens, was completely destroyed. Fortunately, nobody was in the forward cabin at the time, and the cat, well, the cat, just a few days before, following a heavy storm, she moved them all, one by one, along practically the entire length of the ship across wet and slippery decks to a cabin in the stern belonging to a Georgian officer, where she deposited them in a drawer of clean laundry. The Burza went on to survive the whole war and became a museum in Poland. After the war, there was no further reports about the cats. <coughs> so there you have it. Uh, the first cat story of the day of, from the ORP Burza, B-U-R-Z-A, if you'd like to check it out for yourself. Uh, it's kind of interesting how animals have a, a, a third intuition like that cat perhaps did um, moving moving her kittens before they became in danger. Or perhaps she just realized that the uh, the front of any boat, uh, when it gets uh, rocking and roll in the front, is the part that moves the most. And she probably just wanted to get uh, half a dozen seasick kittens back to a, a little more calm place in the back end of the boat. We'll never really know the reason for that, but the uh, the intuition that animals do have on boats is interesting. Uh, I've heard stories of people who have had skipper keys on boats in the fog. Uh, they, the skipper key will sort of naturally run up to the to the front of the boat and uh, will face one way or the other, knowing which way to get back to uh, to port where it's heading um, without obviously being able to see. They might be able to smell something, but uh, they have uh, senses that are um, exceptional as far as uh, us humans are concerned. And uh, besides just the pleasure that they bring having, uh, having their company. Boat Talk also has a, a Facebook page, uh, just a simple Boat Talk Facebook page. And on there, just a couple of days ago, I posted a, another animal story. There is a, a lobsterman by the name of John Shipman who lives down in Birch Harbor. I spoke with him a little while earlier today. Nice guy. Um, he and a friend of his were out. Um, well, the friend is a retired police officer, and the friend had another visitor up, and they wanted to see how lobstering was done. So they, they went with John Shipman out for the day. And during the course of their adventures, they came across what they couldn't figure out at first, something flopping around in the water. When they got up closer, they could see that it was an eagle, an eagle in the water who was struggling. He was 
trying to get up onto a, a lobster buoy, obviously in distress, but the lobster buoy was too small and kept rolling over, and he, the eagle kept falling back in the water. So they had a, a life ring on board the boat, and they threw the life ring over to the eagle, hoping that he might be able to get up onto that, but um, he couldn't handle that either. kept slipping off and falling back into the water. So they, they knew they had to do something to save this poor bird. So uh, looking around, they, there was a lobster tote there that had a, a top that they could easily take off. So they took the, uh, the top of this wooden lobster uh, tote, which is probably about, oh, two feet by three feet square, the, the top, and uh, put that into the water and pushed it over to the eagle very carefully. And the eagle was able to climb onto that lobster tote and then... Um, Kevin, the uh, the friend who was on the boat, was uh, he talking to him? He said it was it was amazing. He got down really close to the eagle, and the eagle would just look at him, wouldn't attack him, didn't didn't make any kind of a uh, uh, violent reaction to Kevin being there. Just stood on the tote while Kevin picked it up and set it on the boat, and the. The eagle sat there for probably about 40 minutes. They were going to take it back into shore to a vet's office, but before they were able to get all the way back into shore, the uh, the eagle had dried off after about 40 minutes and just took off and flew away. So there you go. There's a, a good good Samaritan thing from uh, John Chipman and Bert Charber. Thanks very much to him. Another uh, animal story that's uh, going to be coming up Soon, too, is this uh, this weekend is the Maine Boats, Homes, and Harbors show down in Rockland at the waterfront. A great show of uh, in-water boats, um, boats on the hard, uh, boat-related items, house items, um, all kinds of construction sort of uh, oriented shows. But anyway, part of the Maine Boats and Harbors show on Sunday morning is the Boatyard Dog Trials Um Mike Joyce and I are the MCs for the Boatyard Dog Trials. That's a um, it's a real fun event. Half a dozen dogs are selected from people who uh, send in entries to Maine Boats and Harbors, Boats Homes and Harbors. Uh, half a dozen dog entries uh, have to go through a, a series of. Uh, Events first. First one is they have to go through a little obstacle course, which is set up right by the uh, by the waterside on a float. <clears throat> there are lobster traps and ropes and all sorts of things that the the dog has to negotiate one way or another, jump up or over or around or whatever, while the ho- the uh, their handler is uh, encouraging them. After they do the uh, obstacle course, there is the tippy. Dr- Tippy dinghy trials. Um, if you're a, not a boat person, there are tippy dinghies and not tippy dinghies. And uh, <coughs> excuse me, um, they take a, a tippy dinger, very rounded bottom kind of dinghy that uh, requires jumping into the center um, uh, of the boat so that you don't tip it one way or another. Uh, boat, wi- boat wise dogs know how to do that. They've they've experienced tippy dinghies before, so they they are able to uh, negotiate their way in and out of the dinghy without uh, too much trouble. And small dogs uh, do fairly well at that too. But 
There are a few dogs who are um, more shore-based dogs, (laughs) and they they, uh, have a a little harder time getting in and out of the dinghies sometimes. It's always fun to watch, and and, uh, sometimes it's the... uh, the uh, the handlers too, who may be a little bit of of a help, or, or sometimes not getting in and out of the boat. But then uh, after they uh, finish the uh, the tippy dingy part of the trial, the last part, the third part, is a free form. Their dogs are allowed to do whatever they like to do. I've seen dogs who will. You give them a rope, and they can go over to a cleat and know how to walk around the cleat back and forth, uh, one side or the other, to uh, the cleat off of a rope, which is pretty amazing. There are fr- frequently uh, frisbees or some sort of flying object involved with dogs uh, flying after them, too. It's um, a great fun watch to uh, have kids along to see all this uh, great fun, too. The The... The trials are judged by by three judges in a boat who are just off the float watching all the events, and uh, they make a decision after the after the six dogs do all their performances. They make a decision, and uh, the boatyard dog winner for the year receives the boatyard dog cup for for that following for that year. And uh, you get a little write-up in main boats, homes, and harbors, too. So uh, if you like animals, um, I suggest you uh, head down to main boats, homes, and harbors on Sunday morning. The event, I believe, starts at um, 10 o'clock. And, uh, again, this is a, f- a call-in show, too, if you'd like to contrib- uh, p- contribute anything to the show. It doesn't necessarily have to be an animal story, but... Uh, that's what we're trying to focus on today. The number to call in is one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. We are still um, also in the midst of our pledge drive, our summertime pledge drive, and need to raise about fifteen thousand dollars. Not quite halfway there yet, but if you appreciate boat talk in particular or WERU in general, um, and are not a member, um, we encourage you to become a member by calling 1-800-643-6273. 1-800-643-6273. Or you can pledge online at weru.org. And uh, we would appreciate all the help you can give us. This is a, a non-commercial station. You probably realize that, having never heard any here. It's... Uh, you and I who keep this station going, and right now we're looking for some help from you. 1-800-643-6273. Speaking of online, though, too, um, if you have a story and are not inclined to uh, talk on air but like to share a story by email, you can email a story right directly into the uh, Boat Talk cabin here by going to Boat Talk at gmail.com. That's simply boattalk at gmail.com. That's boattalk, two T's. I'm going to go to um, a story that's probably not all that unusual, except for the the circumstances here. 
it's a story about a container ship. A container ship uh, from the Mayersk container ship line. Uh, lost power off Alaska about a week ago and was uh, in serious danger of running aground. It was the 872-foot Laura Maersk that lost power last Friday, and it was underway north of Akutan Island, which is one of the uh, Aleutian Islands in Alaska. The vessel contained uh, an estimated 51,500 gallons of oil, F-U-R-L oil. I'm not sure just what that is, but probably uh, fairly heavy. Uh, The vessel was in 5.5 nautical miles of landfall off the Aleutian Islands when... um, uh, we'll we'll hold that story for a little bit, and we're going to go to Mike, who is on the phone right now. Good morning, Mike. Morning, Alan. How are we doing? Yeah, good. Where are you? Oh, I'm in between here and there. Uh, started <laughs> out from Northeast Harbor and trying to end up in St. Michael's, Maryland, but there's been a little bit of a medical emergency, among other, uh, you know, we're having a bit of a time. So uh, I've, uh, uh, like I say, uh, to work on getting the folks to St. Michael's, Maryland. Uh, well, I don't think we would. We should probably go into the medical story right now. Oh, no, uh, not uh, at all. But uh, like I say, uh, uh, definitely have a pretty epic trip just uh, because it's uh, a beautiful planet and a beautiful boat. And uh, being out to sea is, is such a beautiful thing. We got to uh, the other night go through New York City and the dark which in a um, uh, 42-foot sailboat or any boat is a bit of an adventure of the city. never sleeps. There is uh, intense traffic on the water always, uh, as there is on the land. But it was strangely, uh, uh, the least amount of boats I've ever seen around traffic around New York, but the lights are still there. And as you're navigating, of course, you're looking for lights, uh, green and red lights that turn into tugboats coming at you, and, and where's the next buoy blinking? And, but there's the whole city blinking, and that's quite something. And, and the place where we get the fuel is right across from the foot of the World Trade Center, uh, Liberty Marina, where they, that's right across the Liberty, uh, 20, uh, is it Liberty Park, yeah. 24-7 gas station? Yeah, and a uh, pretty spectacular place at midnight, you know. And uh, so anyway, I've been having a bit of a time. Also had a, a, a 10 minute, just as intense as it could be. It wasn't even 10 minutes. A rainstorm coming by the United Nations building there, and then it was a nice night again. Huh. But for a few minutes, you were thinking this is as stupid as anything could rain, and then it rained a lot harder than that. So tell me, um, was it nighttime when you went by the UN building? You know, eleven o'clock at night or oh, so. Okay, uh, I've been fired a few times. I'm always dismayed at the uh, the the lack of maintenance or the, the shabbiness of of that building on the water side. It's, uh, it's obviously hurting for money. Didn't notice, but we, we always uh, comment going by Rikers Island. Though the building seems a little uh, seems to have a kind of bad vibe somehow. You can see people exercising in the old barbed wire in the daytime, but at night it's just a black look. 
It's got bad vibes somehow. But it's pretty cool. And uh, I sent you some uh, pictures of, of uh, midnight in the city and uh, sunrise off the Jersey Shore on the uh, computer there. Yeah, I, but, uh, I, I saw them already. I got to say, Mike, um, I don't think you have much future as a photographer. No, not at all. But that little <laughs> iPad thing, now somebody just told me it was an antique. They're a little, little, little shaky. Miracle. I, I can put them up on the uh, the Boat Talk Facebook page for people well, who uh, are interested. You know, I thought if anybody would, would be you, so thank you. Yeah, and uh, let's think what else. Oh, no. Oh, here's the reason why I really called. Cut me right off uh, talking about all that other business. But, um, oh, uh, we had a fuel issue and ended up in Friendship, Maine, and uh, needed a little help getting pulled over to a morning. Were you picking and, up uh, picking up crud? Uh, well, like I said, we had a fuel issue, and uh, we actually got to uh, hang out with the small boat people from Booth Bay Harbor, the 47-foot uh, uh, Booth Bay Harbor boat. Those are awful nice people in the Coast Guard, is what I mean. Uh, uh, Coast Guard Station, uh, Booth Bay Harbor. Uh, it's a nice bunch of people, and they know how... I guess lucky they are to be stationed in Booth Bay Harbor. They like it and they like each other. They appreciate their, uh, their gig there. So, huh, yep. uh, and they pulled us uh, over to Friendship, uh, give us to the uh, uh, harbor master, and uh, he pulled us up to a mooring there. So, so the we're co- uh, uh, being pulled up to the mooring, and I'm standing on the foredeck and sort of talking with this fella, and he says to me, he says. Uh, you know, I've uh, been listening to you for an awful long time, and it's a good thing to finally put a, a uh, face to the voice, Mike. <laughs> Out of the blue, somebody says that to you, huh? Oh, he's sitting in, like I say, he's doing his thing in his boat. He's, uh, and, and again, he's now, uh, you know, offering marine services professionally, and, and uh, this has happened to me before out and about. Honestly, from Nova Scotia to about North Carolina, be on the deck of a boat or walking around somewhere ashore, and somebody says, hey, it's, well, it's not the punny one, it's the other one. <laughs> hey, boat talk. So anyway, that happened again here. And uh, we needed help with, uh, we needed a filter wrench and, uh, you know, a little bit of fuel. And uh, it was graciously and, and uh, very sweetly provided by my friend Jim Bowen. Bowen Marine and Caretaking Services and Friendship. Okay, we'll have to mark that one down. Bowen Marine. Huh? Oh, even better. I ain't finished yet, Alan. I ain't got to the best part of the story. I says to my buddy, uh, cabin buddy there, I says, now let's make sure we take really good care of him. He's been extra nice to us. He's our new best friend. And uh, captain says, oh, yes, here, uh, take this. And he slips me something that uh, was a 50 on the outside and I wasn't sure what it was, and and uh, so that ends up in Jim's hand. Uh, Jim, um, down down below decks again, uh, kind of uh, glanced at it and called me back up and handed it right back to me, and says, "I've been listening to WERU since the place started. Um, love you guys. Do a great job. Give this to the station. Thank you." So he made a contribution to the station right there and then, huh? He did. That's uh, great. What we gave him uh, for what he did for us, he gave it right back and gave it to WERU. That's cool. Owen Marine and Caretaking Services. Let me give the call uh, the call in number so anybody else is so inspired. One eight six six 
625-9378 is the way you can contribute to WERU. Well, let's think now. This, uh, this bundle of 50s went from our boat over to uh, Jim and then ended up back in my pocket. And, and uh, you know, I didn't count it when it come back at me. I just kind of tucked it in my pocket and went, wow, man, thank you. And here's the punchline. Uh, nobody knew exactly how much that was until I counted it. And it's a $250 contribution. That's great. That's great. It's kind of generous all the way around. Yeah. Is what we all thought. So, uh, <laughs> whoa, whoa. you know, Bowen's Marine and Caretaking Services and Friendship. Uh, Jim is also the harbor master in Friendship. So, you know, uh, good fellow. And it's a good thing he's got a good sense of humor because, uh, like well, you say. Yep. Good name for a harbor for him to be the harbor master of then, too. Hey, if you can't live in Friendship, live in Hope. Yeah. Move to Freedom, you know? What about Winter uh, Harbor? Right. <laughs> so anyway, uh, what else this morning, Alan? Uh, what you at? Well, we're talking like about. Uh, I don't want to bug you for that, you know. Yeah, trying to talk up um, animals on boats. All uh, uh, right. Yep. Yeah, I know that you've really, you used to have a dog, but he wasn't much of a boat dog, really, was oh, he? Oh no, Ming was a fantastic boat dog. But then there were also some Rottweilers that were being rescued around. Oh, remember and, those? Uh, That's right. Yeah, as, uh, as I say. Uh, uh, would you uh, build a kayak that will fit the the Rottweiler as well? And it's, no, it's unpredictable ballast. Define some define uh, uh, what would you call it uh, uh, design uh, capabilities. You know, if the ballast is going to move around. And, and again, we did a whole program about where do you go on the boat when you're the dog. Um, you know. Yep. Yep. We do have an answer for that nowadays. Uh, you're probably aware of it, too. There are manufacturers who make little uh, AstroTurf pads that have um, essence of fire hydrant in it so that the dogs know where to go. Yep. And, again, one of many, uh, a few solutions that we discussed on Boat Talk a few years back. And, uh, so, anyway, embarking dogs on boats. And, and boats, uh, uh, as I like to joke, uh, you know, the girls and dogs don't like it when the boat gets all tippy. But that's because, uh, you know, maybe I don't like it either, and I'm just deflecting there. But um, the dogs definitely don't need the boat that's, uh, you know, railed down in the water. That's not helpful for a 100-and-something-pound Rottweiler, you know? Yeah. 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 That'd be a tough lift. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and then uh, where do they go? Swim uh, platforms, great, uh, great accessory, but... Again, uh, dogs got to want to be there. I would guess uh, would be the ultimate thing. I would say there. Yeah, they they got to want. Although I've I've heard that at a certain percentage, I forget just what it is, is of dogs uh, tend to get seasick. So, wouldn't doubt it a bit, uh, Alan. Yeah. All right. So I'm sorry I couldn't be there this morning, Alan. And um, of course, uh, I, you know, as I told you, I ain't going to be able to make the dog show either. But I believe I'm going to be in. Uh, um, I'll maybe I'll make uh, barefoot booze there tomorrow morning. Oh, that'll be so. Yeah, yeah, that'll be fine. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll disappear again, and I'll be there um, if you need me. Yeah, I appreciate it, and uh, good luck doing boat talk without me. Now, don't get used to that or nothing. <laughs> no, I do, I, you know, yep. I kind of like it. I'm sorry I ain't there, but there's the facts, and it's uh, about other people. Well, it's the phone, way, the so. phone calls that come in that help this show too. So. We're yep. looking for those. All right. Well, this is a little uh, boat talk and uh, recognize for, you know, uh, 
been doing it for a while, and people are listening now, and we forget that, I guess. Yeah, I, it boggles my <laughs> mind. But Sometimes. You well, don't know who's out there. You really don't. And you don't know what people hear. You don't know what people touch, uh, touches people. And, uh, uh, man, it's all about connecting people, which is a wonderful thing. Community radio, man. And, yeah. Uh, we are so lucky to do it. We've inherited this gig and been doing it for a little while because it's too fun not to do it. It is. Yeah, it's uh, definitely a, a happy gig. Yeah. And even the boat uh, yard dog thing in Rockland this Sunday, that's just that's just weird. That's not um that's a little outside my and Alan's comfort zone, isn't that true, buddy? Um yeah. You know I I tried to not get uncomfortable when uh when things happen, but uh you, you when you realize you're uncomfortable, that's when you try to think about what you can do to get uncomfortable. So it's that's the kind of way I I approach it. And maybe not uh, uncomfortable is the right word, but it's uh, not a natural kind of gig to be out there on a Sunday morning with a, hundred, a few hundred people and Mister Microphone in the sunshine and wet well, dogs. It, it, not something you do every day. Thing. But and, and here's the thing, though: I finally figured out after all these years, our job is to be a cheerleader, but not really cheerleaders, but you know. Um, so anyway, uh, totally doable, but a little stretch on, on the regular is what I'm saying. Yeah. But a joy at the same time gets the blood pumping and it's so much fun. Yeah. And, you just uh, see what those funny dogs do. It's, it's great. It is. And, uh, Rock and Waterfront, such a beautiful spot there, let alone the main boats, homes and harbor show is, uh, this is the main summer classic. There's no other word for it. So, you know, Not only a couple missed. years old and that's cause it's quite a good thing. Lots of great boats there, that's for sure. Main boat builders certainly do have a lot to be proud of. Yeah, and all the stuff, uh, lots of extra benefits and, uh, you know, uh, food. That's just Rockland Harbor. Uh-huh. It was, uh, you know, a classic place to be. So I apologize for that, but again, I might be, if I'm lucky, I might be flying home that day or some such. So um, I ain't going to make it. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. The, you sometimes there's a lesson with the boat uh, thing is that you have to uh, be flexible enough to give in to uh, boat time. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, uh, the more time you put in, the more more comfortable it becomes. That's for sure. Well, no, but uh, um, things happen. Uh, uh, good things happen slowly on on boats. Bad things happen pretty fast sometimes. But uh, also things sometimes around a boat just need to evolve. And at, at six knots uh, or less, it takes a little while um, to uh, go several hundred miles and uh, let things evolve, you know, for this reason or that. So, yeah, and uh, you have to kind of go with the flow, I guess, was uh, what we decided uh, just recently. Yeah. Well, um, anyway, it's been a... Uh, a uh, bit of an adventure, and the uh, people involved uh, uh, have all been pretty magnificent, including uh, just give them a little plug, too. And, and again, nobody uh, uh, really else's business but the owner well, of the boat. This, uh, this is going to fit in well to our, our September show next September. I don't have the date in front of me, but second Tuesday in December is going to be um, medicine on boats kind of show. We're going to be having yeah. A doctor, a Navy doctor on board, so it'll All fit right. in well with that. 
Yeah. So anyway, the owner of the boat this time has been uh, just uh, uh, cool as possible and, and uh, you know, uh, handling this, that, and the other, and, and uh, we're still in the middle of it. So uh, talk to you in a couple of days when I might get home again. Okay, good. Yeah. Well, or, or, or wait now, possibly tomorrow. Yeah, right. Yeah, tomorrow's uh, Barefoot Blues. Barefoot Blues are 9 o'clock in the morning, yeah. So uh, before you go, uh, you mentioned that people do listen to the show. We have a thank you here from uh, Chad's Chad's Ford, Pennsylvania. There's a listener down there who's listening to us right now, Charles. Charles has become a new member by calling 1-800-643-6273. That's pretty nice. I was just saying, uh, Charles, this is my friend Chip, uh, uh, his budget uh, bed and breakfast at his place in Chad's Ford the other night, and uh, Chip owns the boat uh, we're trying to deliver here, and, and as I said, has been uh, beyond uh, good and cool about everything. Yeah, and, cool. And uh, that's why we've been having such a trip, and again, I would uh, don't ever uh, hear the duck boat talk and go to the boat show is uh thing I've always promised to be at, but this time... Uh, like I say, you've been trumped, Alan. <laughs> I saw you've that. Been <laughs> we'll let that slide. Yeah. So anyway, uh, good morning, bud. And, and uh, as I say, uh, don't forget, uh, you know, I'll get through it with you next time. Okay. We'll make All you right. pay for it. See you. Thanks for calling. Um, we are, as I said with Mike, we're doing, a, or at least partially, a Animals on Boat show today. And if you'd like to call in with a story, the number to call is one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. That'll get you right here to the uh, studio at WERU Community Radio. But I have a an email story that someone sent in an email to boattalk at gmail.com. Here is their story uh, from Lynn in Bristol. My boat is only a kayak, so maybe this doesn't qualify for boat talk. Uh, no, that certainly does qualify. That's bigger than some of the boats we've actually talked about. But here is Lynn's story. When we got our kayaks, we invited our dog along. She was comfortable in either my cat, either my kayak or my husband's, and once successfully switched from one kayak to the other in the middle of Seven Tree Pond in Union. But the story I wanted to tell you happened to me on one of our few kayak ventures on salt water. We were on Muscongas Bay and Pogo was in my kayak when we encountered several harbor seals about 50 to 60 feet away. One seal poked his head up out of the water looking at us and started vocalizing. Pogo responded and they had quite a conversation. I've wondered since what they had to say to each other and hope it wasn't about me. That's from Lynn down in Bristol. Thank you very much, Lynn. That's a good story. It gets the seal of approval on boat talk. But in lieu of no other phone calls right now at the line, I'm going to go back to the uh, disabled container ship off Alaska. Uh, the 872-foot Laura Mazurk lost power last Friday while it was north of the Aleutian Islands, drifting towards land with uh, 51,500 gallons of oil on board. The vessel came within just about 5.5 miles 
of landfall off Akutan, and it was rescued by the tug, the Millennium Falcon. Can you imagine what they heard on the radio as the Millennium Falcon was approaching? <laughs> I bet you those boys have a copy of that CD on board just to play in situations like that. <laughs> the Millennium Falcon saves a uh, container ship. So, on another subject, uh, not animal-related, uh, very definitely people-related um, GPSs are what uh, boats use to navigate around almost exclusively, especially larger larger boats, speaking of container ships, uh, rely on GPS almost exclusively for navigation purposes. And now there's um, a lot of people concerned about hacking of GPSs. And apparently, for example, in... Uh, a January, oh yes, I, and January public meeting to discuss maritime cybersecurity standards, the Coast Guard said that in 2014, a U.S. port, they didn't say which one, suffered a seven-hour GPS signal disruption that, dis, that crippled operations. Now, with 90% of our goods coming in through the maritime shipping ports, uh, disruption of unloading can cause quite a... Uh, uh, commercial problem here in the United States. So there is a push on board now from uh, several governments, including our own, to uh, have a backup system that is not satellite-related. The system of preference seems to be a, a system called E-Loran. Um, E-Loran. The Lorans used to be quite popular, but they were phased out. Um, there are Ten radio navigation systems originally in 1992, several of those have been failed out, uh, phased out. Uh, in 1997, there was Lorancy, Omega, very high-frequency, omnidirectional, range-distant measuring equipment. That, that's a handy name. <clears throat> Tactical air navigation. The instrument landing system, and get this one, the microwave landing system. I never never realized that microwaves were flying around, but I, I feel better now that know that they have a way to land. Another system called transit, aviation radio, radio beacons, and marine radio beacons. Um, transit, Omega, the marine radio beacons, and, and Loran C have all been phased out, so there's a limited number of non-satellite navigation systems available now. So there is a push to uh, get to uh, Lorian E. And we have on the phone now Boat Talk technical friend Ben Ellison, who is going to explain to us a little bit more about E. Lorian. Good morning, Ben. Uh, hi, Alan. How are you doing? Good, good. Welcome to Boat Talk. Thanks. Um, uh, let me just say, um, at this point, I'm a little skeptical that Eloram will ever get built. Um, since you called me this morning, I poked around in my archives. There, there's a article I wrote for Power and Motor Yacht. It was published in April 2002, 2002, 15 years ago, um, titled The Dark Side of GPS. And the subtitle is 
why we really, truly shouldn't rely solely on satellite navigation and why Loran may have a second light. Um, so it was a big subject 15 years ago. They, in that article, there are quotes from the Secretary of Transportation, and it was Norman Mineta, um, talking about how we should have a secondary electronic navigation system. There had been a huge report done by the government and issued on September 10th, 2001, the day before 9-11. That's that's kind of ironic, isn't it? Yeah, and emphasized the vulnerability. It was called the vulnerability of the electronic uh, transportation navigation system. This has been in the air a long time. In fact, there was a company in Maine that made Eloran receivers called Crosstrack. Young guy from uh, originally from Islesboro, Zachary Zachariah Conover. I think he's still in the business um, because there is, you know, Eloran is being built out in the UK. It's being built out in South Korea, and that's largely because North Korea has been spoofing GPS along the South Korean coast. Um, yes. So it's been in the air for a long time. Uh, it almost happened in the United States where we were going to convert all of our Loran stations to Eloran, which is a lot easier to use, can be combined with GPS, um, includes atomic clock level timing, which is a really important aspect of the system for people beyond boats, used on boats too. It's used in AIS, for instance. Um, it didn't happen. It was early in the Obama administration that they uh, canned the idea, which wasn't, it was about a less than $200 million project. And then they started uh, taking apart the Lorian stations. I have a picture on on my website, Pambo, of them blowing up a 1,300-foot Lorian tower in Alaska. Blowing it up. Yep. Uh, At that point, the Coast Guard was charged with taking care of all these Lorian stations which weren't being used, they wouldn't be used really very much until Eloran, an integrated advanced system, came into being. They they were they wanted it out of their responsibility. They figured this Eloran, and rightfully, was much beyond um, marine use, aviation, cell phone companies, all kinds of things. So they were trying to get rid of it. Nobody wanted to take responsibility for it in the government. And nobody championed it strongly enough, and it got taken down. It still, you know, it still didn't go away. I, I have an article in 2014 where there was a congressional um, big investigation of, of federal aids to navigation, and this came up strongly. And there was there's a there's a really great foundation out there called the RNT Radio Nav Radio. I'll find it. Um, um, that's advocating for some form of secondary navigation. Uh, um, some some non-satellite type. Well, th- there's still discussion. They just apparently, the in the 2018 U.S. budget is $10 million now to explore feasible alternatives to satellite navigation. Yeah, the beauty of Loran, as opposed to GPS, 
is that it, it's on the ground. It uses very low-frequency radio waves, which is really different from GPS. So GPS is these very weak signals from far away. They're very easily jammed, such a weak signal that um, you can, you know, get a device that emits those frequencies and, and destroy override uh, the them. GPS signal, override them. Yeah. And what's more, it's not secure, so you can spoof GPS. Now, that's when uh, it takes a lot more technology, but you start sending out a stronger signals that give you the wrong information. And there was a there was a case that seems fairly well documented in the Black Sea this July. It's part of what got all this talk going uh, along the along the Russian coast, where a bunch of commercial vessels experienced this thing where all of a sudden their GPS was telling them they were 25 miles away from where they really were. Um, I put some stuff up on Facebook about there's a picture of a radar screen where you see a whole uh, tight bunch of AIS targets. So those are targets that are sending their GPS position out over VHF. Uh, and then you see a bunch of radar targets that are, you know, you don't see any radar targets where the AIS targets are. The radar targets are all like 10 miles uh, huh. in another direction. So this whole fleet has been shifted by GPS spoofing. That, that gives you... That's yeah. serious, yeah. <laughs> it could possibly r- run a, a, a boat aground. Or, well, how about airplanes? How about airplanes? Or how about, airplanes? How about self-driving cars? How about self-driving cars? Uh, the, uh, you know, honest, honestly, boats are are the are some of the least vulnerable because mm-hmm. we go slow. We tend to have alternate. We means have. of finding our position, like radar. Radar, yes. Uh, yes. Um, depth sounders, um, you know, stuff like that. Uh, and, and we're generally, we're very often in an area where there's some room for error, um, uh, unlike your self-driving car example. Mm-hmm. Or your landing airplane. But the downside, too, is that these boats don't turn very quickly either. Yeah. So, so at any rate, it's been talked about for a long time, and, and then it keeps coming back. So I'm, I'm a little, I, I won't believe we're going to do anything about it until it really starts to happen. Um, sorry. So, <laughs> do, do you think, it, basically, do you think it's a good idea to have a a, a backup system like ELR? Absolutely. Yes. And it's inexpensive. It just, you know, in. 2014, when I wrote about that congressional thing, they were estimating then uh, $40 million with help from private industry who would be interested in having such a system. And I found the site, the RNT Foundation, that stands for Resilient Navigation and Timing Foundation. And I've been following them for a while. That they have very reliable information about problems with the GPS and, you know, activities going on, they're promoting um, an alternative. They happen to like e a lot. A lot of people like e um, 
you know, the technologies out there, it's being used in other countries, we could do it. Uh, it's going to be more expensive since we blew up the towers. But <laughs> <laughs> the ones we blew up, you mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, but um, so they're studying it again after all this time. I mean, so no, I'm a big proponent. Of it. Good, good, absolutely. So I keep writing about it, but yeah. But in the meantime, it's wise for people to to think about it out there. What if we are all so used to um, knowing where we are at all times. Uh, and on a boat, having it plotted right on the chart. This is where I am. Oh. High reliability. Uh, it could stop. Um, you know, sometimes some of these, um, part of the problem is it hasn't stopped very often for very many people in all these years. It's just not very many incidents of it. I don't know about that one you were talking about, the harbor. I didn't hear that. Um, the the uh, port shut down? Yeah. Yeah. Um <clears throat> But I do know that in some cases around the U.S., when it's happened, it turned out it was the U.S. government messing around with some sort of, uh, you know, military jamming device. Yeah, and okay. it can okay. also be weather, too. Like you say, it's such a weak signal that weather can affect it also. Yeah, well, the receivers have gotten, you know, much better. And, and now, um, you know, there are multiple GPS systems. Really what it's called is GNSS, uh, Global Navigation Satellite Systems. GPS is the U.S. version of that. It was the first one. It's still the biggest and the best, I think. But the Russians have GLONASS. The Europeans are putting up Galileo. The Chinese have Beidou. The Indians and the Japanese are working on their own systems. And and a lot of marine receivers now um, receive several of those systems. They're very similar, so there's so they could all be jammed at once, but much harder to like spoof them all or or that. I mean I you know, I, I I'm wearing a Garmin watch that has Glonas and GPS for you know, it gives it more accuracy. Um it's apt to work better in difficult reception situations, you know, heavy rain, mountains, stuff like that. But boats have always been ideal platforms for receiving satellite navigation sure. information anyway. Yep. So, uh, it tends to work really well. Better, you know, it's more accurate than the charts, which people, some people need to learn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> some people have learned the hard way, like myself. <laughs> oh, yeah, I saw that post from you. <laughs> Um, that went up on the Boat Talk uh, Facebook page, actually, too. So you were there infamously. What, what was that? The boat, uh, when you uh, thanked the Coast Guard for the help that they gave you a couple of weeks oh. ago. Oh, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I just, I'm just finishing up the article about that. Yeah, I, I, uh, I was the cause of an accidental AIS man overboard <coughs> signal for three hours. Saturday before last, and yeah. Um, yeah, I made a lot of mistakes, and I, I shamelessly explained all of them, and, and I also figured out what happened, which is really interesting. You can be the first to hear it publicly. Uh, so this device I had, I got a bunch of them. We designed for someone to carry on deck. 
they fall overboard, they either automatically or you manually turn them on and they set off a very low power PIS signal so that with con- contact of water sets it off. Well, some of them are set up. Uh, you, you know, it should be very carefully done. But um, some of them are set up so that when a inflatable life vest expands, it pulls the pin and activates the thing. Okay. Um, I think generally they're manually. You know, they always have a kind of a protective thing, so you can't accident easily accidentally activate one. Right. Um, but at any rate. I have a bunch of them on the boat that I, they all have a test mode, which is very nice because you, then you can see if your chart plotters and stuff respond properly, which they've all now learned to do. They'll throw up a message, hey, man overboard or man overboard test, give you the location, ask if you want to steer back to it, all that. Well, I was sending out a real one of those for three hours during a very busy day with a classic pups race. However, it's really muffled because the, the device was in a ditch bag in the locker, you know, buried in my boat. And I couldn't for the life of me figure out how it had activated. Yeah, I, in a ditch bag. It has a magnetic switch. This one's designed for divers. You could turn it on with have, wearing real heavy rubber gloves. But you have to pull this pin, it looks like a hand grenade pin, and twist the top 90 degrees. So you're moving a magnet 90 degrees around the top, and it then goes over a reed switch and turns the device on. Well, it turned out the locker I put that in has um, very heavy 12-volt cables for my down thruster. And that did it. Um, and I confirmed that beyond a shadow of a doubt huh. by, because my phone, and your phone probably too, can be a mag- magnometer. Right. With an app. And huh. I, I so measured just, the magnet on the thing, and then I put the phone in the ditch bag, put it where it was, ran the bowthruster, and sure enough, huh. a, a big spike. Of, so that's something you know, good for everybody to know, that keep your electronics yes. away from the uh, the heavy cables, huh? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm ending this uh, entry, which will go up in a couple hours, with a poster about... Uh, you know, some people's lot in life is to serve as a warning to others. Yeah. So, <laughs> why, why don't you tell give give us that website? Panbo uh, uh, p a n b o dot com. Panbo dot com. Marine electronics advice and testing. Yeah. Yep. And, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff in there about Eloran through the pages. Just search a site, a ton of stuff. Okay. Um, well, we're coming up on the end of the hour, Ben. i got to yeah. uh, hang things up. But uh, one quick question, though. Uh, do you have any animals and boat stories quickly? <laughs> uh, I can. Take, I, I, I haven't had a dog in a long time. Yeah. Um, I had a wonderful Springer Spaniel, and I think that makes them. It make she was a great boat dog. Um, yeah, they're good size for a boat. Yeah, and they're kind of uh, you know she was comfortable. She even climbed ladders in boat yards, and huh. uh, but it's not the smartest breed that was ever <laughs> came down the kite. Uh, and there was the occasion that uh, I used to run run a sailboat as a day sailor out of Camden, and one day we were out beautiful summer day, and I used to go out by LaSalle Island and East Goose Rock 
because there's always a big seal colony out there. And um, I, I learned how, you know, I could sail right near the rocks. And so, you know, really quietly see the seals. Pixie Bell, the liver and white scrimmage daniels, sleeping on the stern. And uh, and then we came around the island, got just sort of downwind of it. And Dixie woke up, took this big whiff, and jumped right off the stern of the boat. <laughs> started swimming. She swam about 50 feet towards the seals. And then in her very small brain went, This is Whoa. cold. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. Maybe that wasn't such a good idea. <laughs> what am I doing? What am I doing? Yeah. <laughs> and cool. turned around to the Yui, and we had to keep to and... Haul her back on. Get somebody to dinghy haul her because the dinghy all wet. Yeah. Not the smartest dog. Okay. Very lovable. Good one, though. Thanks to the show, Alan. Yeah, thank you, Ben. We'll be talking to you again, I'm sure. Thanks. Okay. That's Ben Ellison. Panbook.com. We're just about to the end of the extra large, uh, the boat talk for this month. Um, I have one little quick story in by email from my friend Stuart, who is down, I believe, down in Florida right now. He says, we met a guy in Salinas, Puerto Rico, who lived aboard a sailboat with a basset hound named Fred. When he was ready to go anywhere, he would say to Fred, dinghy up, Fred. And Fred would just jump up and jump into the dinghy. That's a good dog there. So we're going to make room for Rich Hill Singer coming up here next on uh, on the wing here on Community Radio, WERU-FM, Blue Hill, 89.9, 99.9 in Bangor, all around the world at WERU.org. Thanks for supporting Community Radio, and give us a call if you can help us out. The number is 1-800-643-6273. Thanks to Amy Brown in the engine room.